0: Hi there, welcome to episode 11. This is Paranormal Blip. Today's an interesting episode in that we cover quite a wide range of things. First of all, we begin with the news, and then we're going to be looking at the career and life of Gardner Dozois, uh, who's the person that wrote uh, Chains of the Sea, of course. And we're also going to be talking about the Twitter spaces hosted by Perceptions Today and Centred Awareness. They're these weekly spaces which are essentially group calls on Twitter um, connected in some way to consciousness as well. And then we finally round up with the archive and we've got a beautiful one from Lou Elizondo's blockbuster interview with um, well, a kind of Q&A session really with um theories of everything from last week and that's really 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 good now thank you ever so much for your incredible response to episode 10 chains of the sea 2.5 hours with a little bit of news and a little bit of archive bookending it and uh you know it's a, quite an interesting thing to do um quite a lot of work to tell you the truth but the response has been fantastic. So thank you ever so much for listening. Thanks for streaming it, downloading it. And mainly thanks for contacting me and, you know, talking about how much you're appreciating it, which is really beautiful to see. Thank you for sharing and liking my tweets and all of that kind of thing. And um speaking of which, uh you know, when I kind of came back like away from doing all of that and kind of reflected upon it. A couple of days later, I realised, isn't it a bit mad that i did never mentioned the writer of, of Chains of the Sea? So I looked into... Gardner d'Ozwell and his life and his career. And I thought I need to devote some time in talking about this man because he was a celebrated editor and short story writer. And he's, you know, kind of not really known. The Chains of the Sea is known very well in the UFO community. Um, But he isn't very well known as far as I can tell anyway. So I want to kind of, you know, shine a little bit of a light on his um, brilliance, essentially, and, you know, he's kind of, he he did so much in, in his life. It's uh, quite extraordinary. So quite a lot of this episode is devoted to Gardner Dozois. So the news this week uh, involves a UAP sighting that was filmed by two Um, uh, Federal Express Pilots or Pilot and Navigator or whatever the other guy does maybe they're both pilots and um, it was reported to NARCAP and NARCAP did a report on it and the report's just recently been kind of published on their website and I'll put a link to it NARCAP stands for National Aviation Reporting Centre on Anomalous Phenomena and the idea is that if you are a pilot um, then you can you know report anonymously, so we don't know the names of the pilots, but we do know quite a lot of the information and i'll send you i'll send you i'll play you a little clip here now of the audio when they're actually filming it, and i'll also um in the episode description I'll have a link for the entire video of this and uh beware there's a bit of swearing in the videos if you're kind of you know just so you know that but obviously not in the clip that i'm just about to play you so this is a bit of a portion you can hear that this dude is quite happy about seeing a ufo
1: it's like an orb man look at that shit. it's bull saving. oh this is awesome
2: and he's not on TCAS, man oh huh. well, i can tell rita now that's interesting that is dude
0: I love the way he says, now I can tell Rita, as if he's been, (laughs) as if Rita's like, I saw another UFO, you haven't seen any. Come on, buddy, you're a pilot for crying out loud, you haven't seen any, I've seen like 15 this week. And then he tells Rita, you won't believe it. And anyway, it's amazing, isn't it? It's a genuine UFO, so take a look at the video, it's um, extraordinary. And they're bleeping out swearing, which is nice of them. Before we talk about Gardner Dozois, we are going to look at um, the work of Perceptions Today. Now, Perceptions Today, uh, and I'll link um, in the episode description to uh, their uh, Twitter handle. Um, They are doing a weekly spaces on Twitter. Now, Twitter spaces is a new thing that Twitter has started to do. In the last, um, I don't know, last couple of months, and essentially it's a group call. You know, that's basically what it is. So it's a live group call, and Perceptions Today's calls are once a week, and they're very, very interesting. All somehow connected to consciousness. Um, really interesting things. And uh, Perceptions Today uh, lays it all out, and uh, he is the host and the co-host is Centred Awareness is the name of the uh, kind of the Twitter handle of the of the co-host and I'll put her uh, address in the episode description as well and it's a really beautiful really lovely community and I've been uh, lucky enough to be part of you know listening um, to a couple and I've been kind of contributing a little bit as well the last couple of weeks and it's a really fascinating community of people And it's really just a kind of invitation to anyone that's interested in consciousness to, you know, get involved. And if you are on Twitter, to take part in the next spaces, which is on Wednesday, the 3rd of November at 7 o'clock UK time. So 7 p.m. UK time, Wednesday, the 3rd of November. If you follow me or well, I mean, the people to follow, obviously, for this is Perceptions Today but also um our kind of you know retweet the invitation as well on um paranormal Blip on twitter and it's like i said it's a really fascinating and trusting community of people there which is really good there's a you know it's kind of incredible conversation week after week after week so earlier this month in october perceptions today hosted a 5 hour uh, q and a and discussion with the writer Anthony Peake. Now, Anthony Peake writes on consciousness and the kind of edge of consciousness, where it goes into things like near-death experiences, and he approaches this work from a sociological and a historical point of view. He's a fascinating writer, fascinating researcher. Uh, in the episode description, I'm going to put his website uh, up there as well. So, you know, linked to his to his website and perceptions today is organizing and scheduling another um hours long uh q a session with anthony peak uh, so this will be another spaces session an opportunity to speak to and engage with and you know discuss anthony peaks work with himself um, which is really exciting and, and we don't have a date for that at the moment but we will be tweeting it out. So, you know, uh, follow um, Perceptions Today, follow me. We'll be tweeting it out when we get a date for that. Um, But the next space is coming up is Wednesday, seven o'clock UK time, Wednesday, the 3rd of November. So follow us for, you know, kind of reminders of that or just like log on to Twitter and join us. It's a really lovely, beautiful community. Um, You know, it's very trusting community of people. So if you're interested in consciousness um, at all, then you know come join us this Wednesday and keep your eye out for Anthony Peak sometime in November. We're going to start now by playing what I think is the first time Lou Elizondo uh, recommended Change of the Sea. Here it is. It's from an old interview, and I've got a, i have got a um. I think it's from 2019, and I've got a link to it in the uh, description, you know, the episode description, as you can imagine. So here's Lou.
1: It's just, you know, we tend to look at things very binary. It's either from outer space or from here, or it's either left or it's right, black or white. It's this or that, right? Either liberal or conservative. Uh, that's the way we're wired. And so people want to know, you know, are these things from outer space? Yes or no? Well, when you read this short story, it gives you a whole fundamentally different perspective in that we may be asking the wrong question. It may not be, the question may not be necessarily, where are they from? Um, I would recommend that, that when I read it, I read that story several times over and over again because I didn't want to miss anything. The author was was taking the reader completely out of that paradigm of either or that binary either this or that and providing a whole nother set of options that I thought was very intriguing. Um, it, it, again, I'm not necessarily saying I subscribe to it, but to have that difference.
0: So we're going to take a look at the life and career of Gardner D'Ozwar, the writer of Chains of the Sea. He was a prolific editor, uh, editor of uh, so many anthologies, so many collections, so many, um, Uh, kind of works of science fiction over a long career. And also he was a short story writer. And the general consensus among his peers is that if he continued writing short stories, he would be, you know, kind of a famous writer. He was certainly um, in among the the lot of them in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. And it's funny when you kind of delve into this world that I'm not a huge sci-fi fan um, in terms of like reading sci-fi, uh, but researching um, uh, Mr. Dodsworth for the last couple of days, I've noticed that it's, it's very interesting. He was an accomplished and much admired and multiple award-winning editor. But there's a thin line between... Essentially, you know, the kind of, obviously, sci-fi fans know who he is. And most sci-fi fans probably know that he is a writer as well as an editor. But the vast majority of his output was in editing. Um, but if you're not in that world, you've never heard of him. You know, UFO people only know him as the guy that um, wrote Chains of the Sea. And one of the reasons I'm doing this episode is, is to shine a spotlight on him on his career and on the man himself um but it's very interesting you know the the thin line between massive success and uh you know somewhat uh, you know successful in his field but certainly kind of general you know not many people know about you so as an example Lots of the work that he did was with George R. R. Martin, who was right in the camp of being just, a you know, like a scrappy young writer, you know, selling his short stories and, you know, trying to kind of hustle up business just like the rest of them, you know. And then Game of Thrones happened and it's like, oh my God. And everyone kind of like reappraises his earlier works through the incredible success of Game of Thrones, you know. And like he said in an interview that I saw a few you know days ago, uh, he uh, he uh, kind of he's talking. This is George R R Martin. Is that his name, George Martin? No, oh, no, that's the Beatles guy, isn't it? <laughs> God, I'm so terrible with names. What's wrong with me? Oh, it is George R R Martin. It is <laughs> George R R Martin. Do you think George Martin and George R R Martin are the same person? Ah, uh-huh. you've never seen them in the same room together, have you? No. Anyway, Martin was saying like, you know, he he George R, R. Martin was saying, oh, he, he mentioned some book he wrote in 1984 and the crowd go wild, you know? And then he says, well, where were you? Like in 1984, you know what I mean? Fair enough. Like you love me now. You love me now, but when I was starving on the streets, like all of my other, you know, um, Hondres in the uh, sci-fi short story world, you know, where were you? And anyway, so this is a little clip to show you or, or to um illustrate in uh, sound the number of awards uh Gardner Dozois has... Sorry, I knew that I was going to butcher that surname. Gardner Dozois, that's how you say it, okay? Yeah. Um Gardner Dozois has won... This is a clip from uh, an award ceremony where he won uh, uh, an award. And unbelievably, this was on um, the 19th of May, 2018. And he couldn't accept the award because he was in hospital. And he died on the 27th of May, 2018. So, you know, my feeling is obviously he just stayed in the hospital. He may have come out, but then I suspect that, well, he died, you know, just... A couple of days later. And so it's quite poignant to watch this, uh, which I will include uh, in the episode description, because they're saying, oh, yeah, George is in the hospital and his son's here. They don't really make much of a big deal out of it. The son says a lovely um, kind of you know, tribute um, speech, uh, taking the award for his father, Gardner. But anyway, here they are talking about the number of awards that Gardner has won. 15
2: Hugos. 20 Locus Awards for Best Editor, two Nebula Awards, a World Fantasy Award, and admission into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame. And that's not even counting the awards that the stories he selected for the the year's Best Science Fiction Anthologies have won, which at last count was a whopping 44 Nebulas, Forty one Hugos, thirty-three Locus awards, ten World Fantasy Awards, and 18 Sturgeon Awards.
0: There you go, Nicholas Sturgeon. That's the most difficult award in, in all of writing that you go they got some sturgeons, yeah. And whilst that's happening, they've got a photograph of him. While they're reading it out, they go to a slide with a photo in his name. And of course you can't help think, oh my god, this man is, you know, has passed away. And he hadn't at that time, you know, but a couple of days later he had. So, um, yes, so that's very interesting. So And that actually tells you a lot about the impact that he had on the lives of, you know, hundreds and hundreds, uh, potentially thousands of new writers. His job was he kind of got into being an editor by taking on a job where there was a slush um, pile. So that's where, you know, in... um, publishing, you send in your story and it goes on a pile. And somebody's got a job of reading through and, you know, shifting the the wheat from the chaff, if you like, and sifting through and trying to work out, well, this guy is like the clueless, 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 rubbish, rubbish, just like, you know, screwing it up into a ball and throwing it into the bin. And then occasionally you'll go, oh, this guy can actually write. Brilliant. Let's put them on the... You know, pile to send to the guy that actually decides these things, because I'm just the guy that's sorting out the wheat from the chaff. And so this is how what he did. And he, he went to this um, this this magazine where the previous dude had left, and there was this uh, gap of seven months where the slush pile had basically built up in seven months. And because of uh, Gardner's incredible work ethic, he got through this slush pile. And then, you know, his kind of work as an editor started to, you know, kind of like that was the beginning, you know, where he was kind of cutting his teeth. And he really was an editor of, um, you know, the the best kind of editor. He didn't just like say, well, this is nonsense or, you know, I need this kind of story and you've got three weeks. But he was a collaborator, you know, and he would spend lots of time working with people shifting around. So, for instance, there was one writer who had a – uh, a, a novel, the beginnings of a novel, and he took a look at this novel, and he realised that he, if the writer had uh, changed some aspects of it, but essentially not much, like kept the vast majority of the words the same, he could uh, kind of transform the novel into three short stories, three standalone short stories that could be published alongside the novel. So, you know, that kind of very um, ingenious, frankly, kind of editing and also working very closely with the writer and eking out the story, which is a very, you know, editing is uh, obviously a creative act. And um, Gardner was, you know, clearly not only prolific, but absolutely brilliant at it, but also as a short story writer, not only Chains of the Sea, but there's other books, uh, other um stories and novels as well that he wrote where he won um you know he won two nebulas for his um for his writing, his his creative writing. But in the beginning things were tough and they would, you know, try to kind of eke out living by writing as as best they could, but they would really like this bunch of writers, including George R. R. Martin and Gardner, you know they were they were basically like very very poor trying to kind of you know keep at it with the writing and they would appear at uh, conventions sci-fi conventions and for 10 years they were always put on the new writers' panel even though they'd been writing for like you know like over a decade they were still stuck on the new writers panel and here's a story that Gardner tells um, of those days
2: but I did a new writers panel of. Oh, I was in the audience, I was on that audience. panel. And there was a new writers panel, it was me and Jack Dan, and I think George Alec Effinger and Jay Haldeman, and a couple other people. And Harlan was the moderator. And he, he we were all broke. I mean, I literally had like about $5 to get through the entire weekend. And Harlan was going to raise money for us. So he did, well, a, well, wait, before you get to the raising money here, hey, Harlan made the format of that panel similar to Queen for a Day, the old, the old TV show. He had each of the new writers had to try to top each other by telling how poor they were. <laughs> and I remember Gardner saying, I'm so poor I eat my cornflakes with water. <laughs> and George Leffinger said, you had cornflakes? <laughs> was the tenor of the thing. And then then, then, then Harlan said, well, I'm going to raise some money for you boys, so he took a a dollar bill or something out of his pocket, and he tried to do the sea of green routine. I want to see a sea of green, you know. Bring out your money for these new writers. Nobody, there was no, no movement in the audience. Everyone was sitting on their hands. Nobody was pulling out their money, and so I said... The first person to hit Jack Dan in the nose with a quarter gets a special prize. <laughs> and the air was thick. The air was we made about fifteen dollars. We ate that night.
0: And you can hear the you know camaraderie between the writers there. It's a beautiful clip, really lovely, and um, something kind of um, poignant. Again, there's that word. Of seeing these these guys like highly successful in their field, and obviously you know George R. R. Martin is a kind of you know superstar all over the world these days, um, you know very kind of well fed, let's say, and you know incredibly happy, and uh, um, you know they they've made it essentially. They're kind of in their late sixties and they're reminiscing about the days. But of course, there's no question that you know it was difficult in the in the early days. And now we get on to Chains of the Sea. Now, Chains of the Sea, um, it takes the, uh, its, uh, its title from a Bob Dylan song, a couple of lines in a Bob Dylan song, and here it is. And the words that are used for to get the ship confused will not be
2: understood as the spoken for the chains of the sea will have busted in the night and be buried at the bottom of the
0: ocean. Now, in the book, Being Gardner Dozois by uh, Michael Swanwick, which is a very interesting book, it's essentially a, a long interview, kind of chaptered up and you know published as a book, um, he talks about Chains of the Sea, uh, Gardner, And so this is a little quote from that book. And I'll put a link to, uh, you know, kind of where you can buy the book in in the episode description. So here we go. This is Gardner himself talking about Chains of the Sea. There is a very arch ironic tone, blackly satirical, to the omniscient overview sections. So maybe that's where the storybook feeling you're talking about comes from. I consider much of what happens in those sections to be blackly humorous, there's a furious black anger there as well, but also a lot of bitter humour that mostly is carried by the tone of the prose itself. This is probably the closest I ever came to writing satire of the savage early vonnegut thought. He talks about the, uh, the the child Tommy as being akin to him really. The location was very close to where he grew up. It wasn't a specific town. It could be a couple of towns, uh, but it was very close to the town he grew up. And the life, although he doesn't talk about his childhood in detail, you do get the impression that it was a tough childhood. And you get the impression, he's like on the record saying that he wrote sci-fi in order to, uh, well, do two things really to kind of get away from the kind of You know, pedestrian life that he was living, or the kind of, you know, provincial life that he was living, but also in order to kind of explore other ways of being, other ways of thinking. You can really clearly see that in Chains of the Sea that sense of, you know, putting your uh, efforts and energies into describing what we now would call the shadow biosphere. There's no question about that. And that's one of the interesting things that aren't. Uh, that isn't mentioned in the Michael Swanick book. And I wonder if, you know, kind of now it would be very, very interesting. Of course, it's impossible to know now, you know, but it'd be very interesting to um, find out what Gardner would think about um, Chains of the Sea's uh, kind of reaction from the UAP or the UFO community. when Donzoa did die, uh, Neil Gaiman, who was an old friend of his, commemorated his death by uh, a lovely tweet which is a picture of um, Gaiman, Michael Swanwick, Gardner and Kat Mijos uh, all together and they look very happy. Um, it's a beautiful um, photo of four friends and I have included a link to Neil Gaiman's tweet uh, and again you know that kind of question of you know kind of like worldwide fame and you know just kind of respect and um you know kind of being well known in a in a kind of small community it's kind of strange that when you think about it isn't it strange that when you think about it yes so um yeah but it's a an incredible uh, career that he had you know even if he didn't make the kind of Money that his friend George R. R. Martin made, or the kind of notoriety of um, you know some of the his old mates like Stephen King and all the rest of it, but you know to if you go if you Google search Gardner dossier, uh, sorry God I've done it again didn't I Gardner d'Ozois and you take a look I mean actually you know Wikipedia doesn't do it justice you need to go to somewhere like. The best one, actually, you know what I do. You know what I'm like. I am going to put this in the episode description, the uh, Internet Sci-Fi Database. That's what it is. It's a website. And you will not believe the number of anthologies and collections and, um, you know, uh, science fiction uh, journals and articles. It's unbelievable that one person edited this much. And you know, like I say, he was a, a very good editor, you know, not only prolific but he put his heart and soul into into this work and You could argue that you know it's in a way it's a shame that his kind of focus was taken by that, but at the same time, it sounded like he had a wonderful life. His son in the um in when he picked up the award, said that his father once told him that the trick is that you find something that you love to do as a job, and then you never go to work for not even one day of your life. And, um, you know, clearly his son said that that's what Gardner did. So this is a bit of a celebration episode, really, for, you know, a person that's changed the landscape of ufology, even if he didn't know it. And it is incredibly significant, I think, that Lou Alessandro, who doesn't say anything without a whole lot of, you know, thinking behind it. And we know that he um, gives breadcrumbs all over the place. And we're going to go into the archive with a bit more Lou talking about, um, you know, our kind of place in the world. And it definitely fits into the uh, narrative of Chains of the Sea, if you like. If you haven't heard episode 10, It is a long one. It's two and a half hours long, and that's only the story itself. It's wrapped around with the news at the beginning and an archive at the end, a little archive clip at the end. Um, George Knapp, oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Lovely to hear George Knapp's lovely voice last week, wasn't it? Yeah. But um, so that's episode 10. This has been episode 11. We're going to uh, go into the archive now. But thank you very much, Gardner Dozois, wherever you are in the multiverse, Thank you for your work and thank you for, you know, shifting things in a lot of people's heads. Welcome to The Archive. And this week we are returning to Lou Elizondo's uh, very long Q&A with uh, Theories of Everything, which I'm going to link again this week. And um, this is a really fascinating it's I'm including it because it's absolutely key to this uh, the questions that arise in terms of the shadow biosphere and in terms of you know kind of other intelligences that we're you know barely perceiving at the moment potentially um, so this is a, a key part of Lou's uh, theories of everything
3: imagine everything you've been taught um whether it's through Sunday school or through uh, regular formal education in school or what our political leaders have told us. And yes, even maybe our mothers and fathers around the dinner table have told us, or maybe at bedtime um, about, about who we are, right? And our background and our past. Um, what if all of that turned out to be not entirely accurate? In fact, the very history of, of, of our species, um, the meaning, what it means to be a human being and our place in this universe. What if all that is now in question? What if it turns out that a lot of the things that we thought were one way aren't, are, are we prepared to have that honest question with ourselves? Are we prepared to to recognize that we're not at the top of the food chain potentially, that we're not the alpha predator, that we are uh, maybe somewhere in the middle? Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I was having discussion with a friend uh, not too long ago. Really, really, we call them graybeards in the, in, in the government. Really, really smart guy. I'm not going to mention his name, but but I was talking to him probably a couple months ago. And this is a guy who was always paid to solve the hard problems for the U.S. government. Cold War. How do we solve that, right? How do we do these big, big things? How do we go in and and uh, and, and beat the Russians at their own game? Um, so this guy I respect tremendously. And, and we had a conversation. He said, you know, Lou, um, mankind's been around for a little while. And for most of that time, mankind's been around. We've been smack in the middle of the food chain. We've been, um, you know, we 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 ate a lot of things, and a lot of things ate us. And that's just the bottom line. And about seventy thousand years ago, something fundamentally changed. Something changed, and and our species was instantly catapulted to the very top of of our planet as far as predatory animals. And um, and now all of a sudden. We became the most feared. Um, we 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 were the most lethal uh, and the most successful. And in fact, uh, most of the large species that 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 existed on this planet went extinct because of us. Believe it or not, because we we were <laughs> eating all of it. Um, there were a couple species that did very very well. With our ascension, our immediate ascension. And we brought a couple species with us. The dog is an example, where the dog species benefited greatly with mankind's ascension as the alpha predator and, and, and wound up succeeding as well, very doing very well off of that. That changed the the entire global landscape of our planet. Um, almost overnight. Large animals went extinct um, because of us. What if it turns out that there's another species that um, is is even 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 higher on, on the on that on that ladder than we are. Um, do we need the social institutions that we have today? Will we need governmental and and religious organizations that we have today if it turns out that um, there is something else or someone else? Um, that is that is uh, technologically more advanced and and perhaps from an evolutionary perspective more advanced um have we been wasting our time all this time or are we doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing um, are we or are, are we does it turn out that mankind is is in fact just another animal in the zoo or cause we thought ourselves as a zookeeper before, but maybe we're just another exhibit inside the zoo. What would that mean to us? So, so when I say sombering and sobering, uh, I mean that it's, it. you know, there's gonna come a point in this conversation where we're gonna to have to do a lot of reconciling with ourselves, whatever that means from whatever philosophical background you you have. Um, this is gonna impact every single one of us. This, same and yet equally and yet differently um and i think that's important um you know do we find ourselves in a situation where history may have to be rewritten
0: so thank you very much for listening and it only is beholden upon me to say farewell dear friend see you again through episode 12 don't know when that's going to be i'm on half term at the moment but half term is um quickly falling between my fingers, like sand. Oh, June's good, isn't it? Have you seen June yet? Yeah, June's brilliant. Not June, like J-U-N-E. Not Terry and June. June. Not June Whitfield. Is that a name? No, Dune with a D. Dune. Dune is very good. Anyway, uh, yeah, so hopefully episode 12 won't be too far around the corner. I've got a couple of ideas, you know. I don't want it all to burn down, do ya? Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> follow me on Twitter at Paranormal Blip. Follow me on Instagram at uh, Paranormal underscore Blip underscore podcast. Give us an email, will you please? Paranormalblip at gmail.com. And if you're interested in this kind of thing, go on to Apple. Record your desires through a series of highlighting stars. Give us the five, will you, pal? And write a little message. Best podcast. or yeah, something like that. Um, I always get so kind of, can you sell? I hate doing that bit. I hate doing that bit. Anyway, have a lovely week. Take care of yourself. See you later.